Thank you, uh, Emily and Jordan, for reading that passage. We I asked um, them to read the passage. This is, um, I think, is the longest passage so far in Hebrews. We're doing the whole chapter of, uh, of Hebrews 7. And so instead of uh, me reading it right now, I thought, hear another voice. And it's, it's fun to hear that passage, just to hear someone read it. Uh, it kind of brings me almost to the moment when the author actually wrote it and people would have been reading it to their church together. Um, and this passage brings up this person, Melchizedek. Uh, and we've heard that voice, that, that name, a few times already in Hebrews. In fact, that name is only used a few times in all of Scripture. We hear it two times in the Old Testament and seven times in the book of Hebrews. This author of Hebrews loves to talk about this uh, high priest Melchizedek that we often, maybe have never, you maybe have never heard that word. I really had never heard that word until I read the book of Hebrews. I didn't remember the, the couple verses in the Old Testament where he was mentioned. And what it is is this little part of, this big part of the book of Hebrews, he's He's talking about how Jesus is like the ultimate high priest. And he's in this order, this family, this line of Melchizedek, this line of high priest. So before we get to that, um, we, we are in this series. Uh, we're going to look at who this Melchizedek is. Why is there a whole chapter here dedicated to this discussion about him? But we're in this book of Hebrews. It's talking about when Jesus is greater. So that there's the big spoiler. That's really where the author is trying to get to us, get us to us. He's just continually reminding us of how good Jesus is. Um, and we're going to continue to look at that uh, today. And what he's right now is talking about in these last few weeks that we've been in it, these last few chapters, is how Jesus is like the greatest of high priests. And this high priest is kind of unique because uh, for us, it seems sort of maybe kind of religious language, far off, like, what does that mean? We don't necessarily maybe hear the word even priest. Uh, in like our church tradition, we don't typically uh, use priest. Um, we, uh, maybe, you might hear the word like pastor, right? Or reverend. Um, but even that word priest, uh, right, has means lots of things to us when we hear that word. And high priest sounds, only the only, the only time you've heard it is like, you know, flannel graph days of being a kid in Sunday school and you heard about the high priest, uh, we're not necessarily even sure what that is. The priest really is just the people's representative to God. It's this person who connects you to heaven, to a relationship with God, to this completeness, wholeness with God. They are the ones who are really in charge of making sure sins are taken care of, that when we've been disobedient, uh, they do things uh, to make sure that those those things aren't maybe counted against us or in place of those things. This person was vital to the, the Jewish people. And we see throughout the Old Testament, they're so important. They hold so much power and authority in that community because they're the ones who connected people to God. They're the ones who brought sacrifices into this holy place that only they could go. They were the people's representative. And I think we've been designed in a way that, that we often want. We want that. We want this person who is our representatives, who gets us to enlightenment, who draws us close to God, who brings us to completeness or happiness, who makes up for the bad things we've done or, or, or makes those right, who kind of stands in between for us um, and does that, who maybe can heal our hurts, who maybe can give us power through our connections with them. 
it's not really that different than people we put in our lives now. But in in their life, they had this priestly system. And he's talking, the author here of Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians. And he's saying this high priest that we've held so high that is our connection to God. Um, I want you to consider Jesus, who's far greater and the greatest of those high priests. And today, not only is he going to say he's, he's the best ever and always will be, he's saying he's actually even different than those that that system we had, those high priests that you clung to that represented your people really weren't as strong as you thought. And that's why this Jesus is so, so good. I think we um, can can create those in our own lives now. And he's going to, I think, hopefully today, I know in my study this passage encouraged me to consider who am I putting in that place? Who am I putting as these high priests in my life? that really don't do what I think they're doing? Who are the people that I think are my inspiration, bring my completeness, they're my source of joy, right? That I would say, you complete me. I would never say that, but I, but I would maybe think it, right? Who are those people? And, and depending on culturally where you're at, even just your own history, your own family history, you might see one person representing a group as, as understandable, but you also might just see you being that person. You might say, yeah, I'm the one who brings myself closest to God. I find a way to God. I atone or make right for my sins. So this is where we get to, just so we're kind of in the same place, this is where we get to this person, Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Now, Melchizedek is kind of this mysterious person. And because of that, people love, especially because his name comes from scriptures, uh, from Holy Scriptures, he is a person who people have loved speculating, thinking about, often even creating lots of story around who he is and the powers that he has. Let's look. I, I found a few um, uh, images and as I researched a little bit of Melchizedek because he seemed like the kind of person that a lot of people have maybe clung to or uh, gravitated to or even used for their kind of own power to say, oh, I hold the power of Melchizedek. And I was right. There's there's lots historically, lots of great imagery of Melchizedek. We're going to look at actually where we see it in Scripture. But first, just kind of throughout time around the world, way back, Melchizedek had been attributed uh, to lots of things. People thought maybe he was an angel, actually. Um, that's why we don't see him like he just is this angel that appeared. And then the author of Hebrews really liked that that version of an angel. They actually thought maybe he was Gabriel or Michael the angel or any other angels that were given names. There's people who consider him maybe to be Jesus, that we see him appear in the Old Testament, which we're going to look at here soon. And they thought maybe Melchizedek is actually just Jesus. We see actually in this passage, though, that in Hebrews, that it actually says Jesus is like resembles him. So it would say Jesus is him in Hebrews if it was. So I don't think it actually is Jesus. There's actually a bit of a modern obsession with with Melchizedek, he has, uh, there actually are these um, really small groups within certain sects of, um, uh, of religious groups. There actually was a cult at one point that even like worshiped Melchizedek. Like he was kind of their God. There's these images, shocking images of even currently of people who like have these images where they like worship pictures of what they think Melchizedek looks like. This kind of just looks like a, like a modern 
weird. I don't, the eyes creep me out. You ready for this? You ready for this one? This one, apparently, if you put up somewhere and you stare at it, it can like bless you and heal you. And this apparently is a image that someone said they got of Melchizedek, right? Of like him, you know, like they say it would float around the room and it would give them healing powers. I don't think, I don't, I haven't experienced that. I don't think that's true. Uh, but we do see uh, an actual account of Melchizedek in scripture. So for us, we, we want to say, okay, let's just start with scripture and see what God says about this before we just say, hey, this guy's mysterious. We don't know anything about him. I bet he's an angel with superpowers. And if I like stare at him long enough, he'll do things for me. Let's just start with scripture and see what it says, because I, this passage makes it pretty clear why Melchizedek is mentioned and why he ultimately is going to point us to Jesus. There's even an interesting story of Melchizedek in the first century, which I wonder if it influenced the author a little bit. It be, was becoming popular around the time this book would have been written to Jewish Christians. So it had been popular within some of those circles that Melchizedek actually was born of a virgin. And when he was born, he came out as a grown child already dressed as a priest. And he came out already doing priestly rituals. Like the idea is that he came out already the as a perfect priest. Um, and then he quickly was taken away by an angel to the Garden of Eden so that he wouldn't be swept away in the flood. Wild story. Um, very interesting. Um, but let's look at, you know, this is a good opportunity to look at what scripture says about it, because what scripture says is so encouraging. Um, and we don't need to elaborate and, and make up things. We can just look at what scripture has to say about this. So we're in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter seven. We're going to walk through chapter seven. I'm just going to highlight some verses in it. So we're not reading the whole thing. It's a lot of passages to just see why would Melchizedek have been brought up? Why is this important? Why is the author continuing to tell us Jesus is greater or, or how is he through Melchizedek? Let's start here. There's a few places. These are the three major places in all of scripture that he's mentioned. First, we're going to start right here in Hebrews. This gives us, um, a picture that's going to point us back to the, the first time, really the only time we see him in a narrative. Okay, this is from Hebrews 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem. Salem is another word um, for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it means peace. Um, so it's saying he was a king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. He met Abraham. We know Abraham, we've seen him before already brought up. It's kind of the, the father, the great, great uh, granddad of all the Jewish people, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So his name actually means king of righteousness. Um, then also, he's the king of Salem. So it's like saying, hey, the king of righteousness or the king of justice or making things right and the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Um, so even in the passage here, the author saying, remember this guy? He, his name was King of Righteousness and King of Salem, and he was a priest and a king. And then in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of days, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So this, this, is, where, um, this is where we get historically some people creating some stories about Melchizedek saying, oh, he like has always existed and, and always has been. There's no genealogy of him, so he must be some 
like an angel or some divine being, or maybe he actually is Jesus. I think in this passage, though, it's actually just saying we don't get a history. We don't get a history here of him in this story about Abraham um, because he, they're just trying to connect him to Jesus. He's just this type, this kind of priest. And, and what's important is that he resembles the Son of God. This is where it says he resembles him. He's not the Son of God, but he resembles him. And so what is this story? This is a strange story. What I don't remember ever reading this story or coloring the coloring page in Sunday school about this or, or talking about this in my children's Bible, right? This is an interesting story. It's very short. It's just a few verses in the book of Genesis. And what this story is, is in Genesis 14, we hear this moment in the story when Abraham, remember he's called by God, Abram is, and he eventually has to rescue his cousin Lot, who gets in trouble with these people. And he goes in this battle and he wins this battle. The Lord has this favor on him and he wins this battle. It's one of those great battles where there's just a few of them and there's lots of other people and God because it's God and he's involved, uh, he can defeat, you know, any giant, even with just a few people. And so he does. And after this battle, Abraham is coming back and then he meets Melchizedek. So this is this moment, right? Where he meets him. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. So imagine him coming out. Melchizedek, king of Salem, is brought out. He brings out bread and wine to, to Abraham. He was a priest of God Most High, and he best blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. So it's this uh, Abraham coming back and the king actually coming to him, giving him bread and wine uh, and, and, and blessing him and saying, Blessing to you that God, God uh, delivered your enemies to your hands and really worshiping God. So this is interesting. He's the king and he's the priest, which we don't see that a lot in scripture. Those are divided because those are coming from different family lines. This is this is where this this uh, passage is going to go. Then Abram gave Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So that's the that's the whole story we just heard in in Hebrews 7. Melchizedek, this king of righteousness, this king of peace, comes, he blesses him, he gives him bread and wine. And then Abram says, "Here," and he gives him a tenth of everything. He gives him this, this tithe. He offers to him as this like, this, you've given me, you've blessed me, and I'm blessing you back. It really is this, this imagery that we see over and over with Abraham and called to all of God's people for all of time that we are blessed, we're given, and then we give. And so he's really giving because he's a priest, he's a representative of God. He's giving him back. It's like he's giving back to God. It's like God's representative came to him and gave it back. And what we know from Melchizedek then is Melchizedek doesn't have this history. They don't even think he necessarily had a Jewish descent, which is interesting. He he's a he's a Canaanite man who comes from Jerusalem, blesses him, and then after this he we don't hear about him again for a long long time. Now the rest of the story is interesting cuz right then the king of Sodom says to Abram, this is this place that uh, is not following God. This is this place that isn't worshiping God as king. It's not the place where God, uh, of, of God who came and delivered his enemies. He says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So he comes to Abraham, to Abram at this point, not Abraham yet. And he says, you give me the people from this battle and you keep all the goods, right? This is the people that he'd fought. So he just had this encounter where, 
the the king of, of Jerusalem comes to him. This this priest blesses him and he gives him this his tithe. And then this other king comes and says, hey, hey, you give me the people. And Abram says to the king, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord. So he's saying, no, my allegiance is to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I'll accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of sandal. So you'll, you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. He wants, he, he doesn't want any connection to this other king. This other place, he said, no, my allegiance is all in on this God. And, and he shows that by giving to his representative. It, it, it's kind of random. I think if I read this story, I'd go, okay, there was a guy, his name was like Mel something. And he, I, I just remember Abraham being the main character in this moment. But this passage apparently is important because we see here for the first time, it's like the beginning of this royal priesthood. This person that is a great king and a priest who's blessing God's people and, and they're returning this as this interaction with God. Now, the next time we see this is many years later, and it's actually written by another person we consider a king and kind of a priest, David. David is a king, but he acts priestly often in how he's interacting with God and as a representative for his people. And he's the one who says this phrase in Psalm 110. This is long after this. He says, the Lord was sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the phrase we've seen over and over in Hebrews already. Quoting Psalm 110, a psalm that is about the coming Messiah. And he's saying this Messiah is coming. He is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. David is saying there's a priest who's coming and he's in this kind of family line of, of Melchizedek. So that's kind of our little bit of history with Melchizedek. A little bit more just uh, in the beginning here in verse 4, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now what he's going to go on to explain here is that he says, consider how great Melchizedek is. Abraham, who actually Levi comes from. So how does Levi fit in here? Levi is the family that the priests were to come from. If you're in the family of Levi, which comes from Abraham, that family line, those are who the priests were. Those are the people that they would give, um, the people would tithe their money to. They would give their money to to, pr- to pay for this group within their, 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 the Jewish people that would be the representatives to God. They would do the sacrifices. They, they would connect to God. They'd make sure the people were right with God. And so he's saying, even Abraham, like Levi's great-great-great-grandfather, gave to him. So that must mean Melchizedek and his family line is even better because the priest family gave to his family, making like him kind of the priests of the priests um, in a way. And so the the author wants us to know this is a big deal. Being in the order of Melchizedek is being in the line of something different than even the priests. It is like the priests of the priests. And do we know who's in that line? It's Jesus. He's said this over and over. He explains something and he says, like Jesus, who's in the order of Melchizedek. And you go, what? And now he's explained to us what this means. It's this family tree idea. Um, we uh, This past week, my grandfather passed away. He was 99 years old. 
over 99 and a half. I mean, it, incredible. The amount of things as we look through his history and look at pictures of his life, the things he's experienced, uh, wars he's been through, uh, hardships he's been through, all the joys, the opportunity he's had to uh, find a wife and form a family and see grandkids born and hang out with his great grandkids. Incredible. This, this long line. And not only that, as we as I've got to spend the week reflecting and thinking about him and our family, so much has carried through in our family. We hear stories of things that he loved to do because his dad loved to do them and his grandfather loved to do them. They're things that I love to do. And you think, wow, those are, they carry through. We have this family tree, right? There's this line, this lineage that carries through that has these certain characteristics, right? We, um, uh, we're talking about how we, we always remember him wearing a flannel shirt, right? And wearing a goofy hat and smoking a pipe and, and uh, wearing his thick rimmed glasses. And I'm like, I'm wearing a flannel, just like, just like grandpa, right? And so we're, this passage is reminding us, Melchizedek has this family line. It's different than the line of what you, th- of the priests. And it's really important because Jesus is different than the priests. And so let's continue. It's going to continue fleshing out this family line. It says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, so it's saying this family tree, right, this line uh, of through Levi, if, if perfection, or this means completeness or wholeness, could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to people established that priesthood, saying that that was the system God gave them, that those would be the priests, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. If we were able to get wholeness, completeness through that family line, through those being our priests, then why did God send another priest, Melchizedek, and then his family line, right? We know Jesus. Why did God send one? Why was that needed? Well, it goes on to say, and what we have said is even more clear to another priest like Melchizedek, uh, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as his ancestry. So it's saying, as a priest who's coming, it's not because he was born into the right family, but it was based on the power of an indestructible life. I love that phrase. <coughs> Excuse me. We need a priest, not because he was born of the right family, but we need a priest who comes with an indestructible life, who cannot be broken even by death, who maybe is killed but doesn't stay dead. A priest who isn't just performing the duties because it's what his family does, but he's already done the job and shown that he has this indestructible life. So saying we need a priest who has doesn't just follow the regulations because his family, he was put in there by his family, but has the power of indestructible life. You love that? I don't often think, you think of Jesus? What's so good about Jesus? Because he holds the power of indestructible life that he offers to us. Let's continue. Um, As we continue through, it continues fleshing this out. There's this other kind of family line that Jesus comes from. And why is it important? Well, in verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak. 
and useless, this other system wasn't strong enough to actually atone, to make right people's sins, to actually bring people near to God. For the law made nothing perfect. Now the law is that system, and the law really all it does is it highlights our great need for God. It's like when you read the Ten Commandments, if you read those and say, okay, I'm going to do all these so God's, God's happy with me, then I can draw near to him, then, then, then he won't be angry with my sins. It doesn't take long and you go, I can't, there's no way I could, I could do all these. In, in two minutes, I break one of these. So if you think, okay, I just got to keep working, keep working, keep working, you'll live that life. <clears throat> and it, that ends with you never fulfilling those. Or that law can go, you know what? I can't do this. I need someone who can. I need someone who, who can save me. And it says here, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That law highlights for us our need for God and our need for someone, a better high priest who can do these things. Because of his oath, his promise, Jesus has come, the guarantor of a better covenant. He's the priest of a better promise. And that is good, good news. Now there has been many of those priests since Death prevented them from continuing the office. He's saying, just, we have this line of priests through Levi, and there's many of them. You know why? Because they're humans and they die. And that prevented them from continuing just to be in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Our priest Jesus doesn't die. Our priest, the, the priests of Levi, cycle us through the same sacrifices that hopefully make sin right over and over and over in their lifetime, <clears throat> and then they die. And then we start that cycle all over again. <clears throat> A little itchy throat. Yeah, oh yeah, a little water. Sorry, you're going to drink. I was getting excited there. You hear this? We get this. There's this cycle of priests. They live and they die. And then throughout even their lives, there's these little cycles of, I'm going to sacrifice for the people, try to draw the people near. And hopefully, these people are put in place because of the family. And let's hope they actually even want to do this. That this is even, they're calling in a sense that they're going to do this faithfully. But we see because they're sinners like you and I, we see throughout scripture that that doesn't happen. Sometimes the priests aren't faithful to God. They're faithful to themselves and the power they gain through it, or, or they're just un unable to care for the people in the way they should. <coughs> so this brings us to the priest, Jesus, who lives forever, who's able to meet our needs. He's completely whole, completely perfect, and completely holy, saves us. There's no more waiting for the next sacrifice. There's no waiting for the next priest or hoping for a good one. We have one who never changes. He's different. Such a priest truly meets our need. One who's holy, who's blameless, who's pure, who's set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Those, those are the issues. When we just have priests from Levi's, they aren't holy. They aren't blameless. They aren't pure. 
They aren't set apart from sinners. They, they are a sinner just like us. And they aren't exalted above the heavens, but Jesus is. Unlike the other priests who does not offer sacrifices day by day. <clears throat> for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus sacrifices once for all. Do you hear this? Jesus comes as our perfect priest. He sacrifices himself instead of a lamb. He enters into the Holy of Holies himself. He tears the curtain down himself. And so that we get the benefit of him. And now we put our faith in him. I love this quote uh, from... James Earl Macy, as he's talking about this passage, he says, as the Holy One, Jesus is pure enough to help us. As the Heavenly One, he's powerful enough to help us. As human with us, he's related enough to help us. You see, he's the ultimate high priest, and he does not come from that family line. He comes from this different line, and this is why Melchizedek is mentioned. Just to highlight, he comes from the family line of Melchizedek. And that's good news because he is a priest forever. How great is that? A priest who is holy and heavenly and also was human so he understood us. He's a king and a priest. His power and purity also understands our suffering and because he suffered for us. Jesus did die once for all. And so what does that mean for us as we move towards a time of communion here? A little bit more about our family, my specific family. Is it something we learned is this thing called attachment, about attachment, when we started our adoption story. Now, attachment, basically, it's very complex, right? And um, I can't explain it in one minute here, but... Quickly, attachment is what happens um, when we're young and we're learning that like we can trust people and connect and attach to them, right? But if you're young and you're someone who is close to people and then pushed back away from people or you start trusting people and then cannot trust people, you learn to develop a protection for yourself so that you don't become hurt so often. Because it hurts every time you get close to someone and then they push you away or they disappear. And so as a child, who in those first years of your life, you're being drawn in and then pulled away. You eventually say, I, if I draw close, I'm going to get hurt so I can't. It develops really the system in you of how to deal with people and relationships. And it's something that can carry with you forever. This system of connecting and then disconnecting for your own protection. Sometimes in our house, we, we say to us, I love you, I hate you. Um, feelings that we have because there's a draw to like, I love you, I want to be close. I can't though, because if you leave me, it's going to hurt. It's really hard to know how to always um, work through that as a family. It's hard to see that in um, 
our family, to see that, that feeling of like, I, I want you to know we're not going anywhere, but I understand that it, it built into you is this belief and this system that says, if I get close, you might leave and it will hurt. The more I've understood that, the more I think passages like this are speaking to us all because all of us, at least spiritually, have lots of attachment issues. If I look to the Levites for my salvation, for atoning my sins, to my nearness of God, then there'll be an endless cycle of people work out and don't work out. And over generations, God's people can develop this issue, right? This problem of attaching to God because the people have, have taught them, right? The, the Levi priesthood has said over and over, we keep sacrificing and we keep trying to draw near to God and, and we create different versions of that system and it doesn't work. And I see that in my own life, Right. Maybe if you just dated someone, then they'll complete you. Maybe for a bit, but it doesn't, right? And it happens over and over, and it's harder to connect. Maybe if I marry this person, all of my worries will fade. It doesn't take long to be married. Nope. New worries. New ways to get hurt. If I just have this friendship, it will heal my wounds. This one friend or this group of friends or this kind of friendship other sinners too. If I have a baby, oh, that will complete me. I will hold that child. It will be mine. And, and there'll be this moment of completeness right before they throw up in my face, right? Right before they keep me up all night. Or maybe just on my own, right? I can figure this out. All I need is me. It's, it's Drew and he's got this. I got this, and I fail. And so we all have this cycle in our lives. We have people that we put in the place of our Levitical priest, as our Levitical priests, who are going to complete us. They're going to help us to be good people. They're going to bring us close to God. We've made them God's. We've, we've thought they could be holy and blameless and set apart, and they're not. And we feel disappointed, and then we get this. We, over time, we don't want to connect. We don't want to attach. We, we say, well, that doesn't work. Doesn't. And, and what we need is one priest who doesn't leave, who is blameless forever. And it's Jesus. He doesn't leave. His sacrifice is done. He's put an end to the reign of sin and death. He is our great Jesus, our high priest. He's different than the other high priests. His sacrifice is his own life. He's entered the holiest of places, making us all, uh, making a way for all of us. He's brought the anchor that we can hold to, never leaving or forsaking. He is the greatest. He is the ultimate. And he is our high priest. He makes a way for our adoption into his family. He changes your family tree, a tree that never withers. And just as Abraham had, had a, a moment way, way back with Melchizedek, we have a moment with the greater of Melchizedek, 
the greatest of high priests to choose him today.